All right, we've got to the um, third part of our Thank God It's Monday series. We've looked two weeks. The whole idea of the series is nine weeks in total. We've been looking at the whole subject of our work and how we align that up with what the Bible says. I've done a couple of weeks over here and then we're getting into some practical stuff for the next week, trying to earth back in real life um, kind of situations. We're trying to look at work in the broadest possible sense from paid employment to uh, parenthood, spending time working with children to retire, whatever that is. Um, we want to sort of so, uh, address that over the, the, the series. My work history, just so you're aware, is uh, my training university to be a primary school teacher. I taught for number of years in primary school, I taught all the ages through the primary school. My first one was my first class was year one, they were five, uh, they were wonderful. Um, and after that, God took me out to be uh, a pastor in a church. I've worked kind of paid employment for the local church for getting on for 10 years. But when we came to plant the church here a few years ago, I kind of went back to teaching. I had a, a period of a couple of years where I was actually doing two things at once. Partly teaching, partly working for the church. But now I'm back full time employed uh, for the church. Um, so that's sort of my work history in this context. Um, what we looked at in the first week, we looked at the origin of work. We saw that God worked, and that therefore dignifies all work. Work is good. There was work in the garden, there was work in paradise. You know, we all use that week. Um, we saw the purpose of work was its creativity and cultivation. Um, Adam named the animals. There was a mental aspect to work. He tended the garden. There was a physical aspect to work. And we saw the good thing that God put in place uh, with work that mankind was called to do. The second week, last week, was all pretty bad news and downhill. Um, and that would be looked at the problem with work. And we saw that because of sin in the garden, man's rebellion against God, our work was affected. We saw that work became pointless, it became fruitless, it was ultimately selfish and difficult, and uh, we found that the work ever since then has been a struggle in some form or another. There were positives, the, the ground would give fruit and there would be rewards to our labour, but that would all be all going a concept of hardship and difficulty as well. And we saw that, so we've seen the origins of work, we've seen the problem with work. What I want to look at today is how the good news of Jesus, the gospel, affects our work. I'm going to be looking kind of the broadest, broadest way possible. And as the series works out over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some very specific things, kind of more that through some specific areas of our work life. So today I'm going to look at some broad things with the gospel and how it should affect our work. And hopefully, my heart is that it will get you thinking about your work in the context of the gospel and the wider purposes of God throughout the uh, so the gospel, what is the gospel? In the narrowest sense, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, to us. Um, and it's sometimes described as the gospel on the ground. What does it mean for me as an individual and the individuals you may know in your life? What does the good news of Jesus, what does his life, death and resurrection mean for them? And you can sum it up in kind of four words when it comes to the gospel. You have God, you have man, you have Christ, and you have a kind of response to that. So when we talk about the gospel on a personal level, that's a one way of framing it. God, man, Christ, response. In the beginning there was God, he created heavens and earth, he created everything, and everything was good. Into that he put man, and man lived under God's sovereign righteous rule, and they had perfect relations and harmony and everything was good, but then man rebelled against God. He decided he wanted to be God. 
You want to take that authority and be in the place of God. And the Bible calls it sin, is that rebellion against God. And from that point, everything shattered. We looked at how it affected work, it affected relationships between man and woman, between man and God, man and other, I mean, mankind, even that creation was affected. And so we have this kind of mess of the world that everyone knows about. And then we have Christ coming into this. Christ was man and God. Fully man, fully God. God came to earth, lived his perfect life. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He modeled something there. And then at the end of that, he died a death on the cross. And the reason he had to die was because our rebellion against God deserved punishment. Punishment, our sin deserved punishment, all the wrong things we've done. The fact that we've belittled God, we had ignored God, all the things we've done to our fellow man deserved punishment. And Christ took that for us. The fact that we rightly deserve. He then rose from death victorious, over that having paid that, because he was totally innocent, he lived his perfect life. He rose to heaven, he rules in glory, and one day he will return to judge all people. And our response to that kind of is what it means, are you a Christian or are you not? If you're a Christian, you've you turned away from your sin, you sought forgiveness in Christ in any place, you stood on his righteousness of your own, you're trying to earn anything from God, you realize you can't, you come to God. Said that I need you, I need what Jesus has done, you become my Lord and Saviour. And that's what it means to become a Christian. So that's the gospel of the narrowest sense. And for us here, most of us here have become Christians, we're following the Lord day by day, and that little story, that little part of it, affected our lives. And how the Christian influence, how should that affect how we approach our work? Because when you become a Christian, you are changed. Completely, the Bible says, the old has gone, the new has come. You've been born again, the Bible says. And I remember when this happened to me at university, everything in my life changed. Because I have been changed fundamentally, therefore everything I touched, everything I interacted with, everything I thought was therefore changed. Because I have been changed at the most fundamental level. Like, I've gone from darkness to light, the Bible said. I've gone from being dead to being alive. I've gone from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. And so everything must have changed as a result. I'm going to look at how the gospel in our life, how that affects our work. And I've got kind of four things. And what I want to frame is, because the gospel has changed us, this is because I've changed you for things at work. And the first one is the gospel gives us a changed story of work. A changed story of work. And when you think of major events, in life, major events in history, they all fit into the context of a wider story. There's always something larger going on, and one of the most significant events in my life, coming from a world point of view, the one that I remember most vividly, is um, what happened at September 11, 2001. I don't even remember where you were when you heard that tragic news. I know, I know where I was. I know who I was with. I knew who told me. I can still picture the room. I can't even remember kind of what I was wearing, my cockpits. I, so I was actually at school at the time, and I was in the IT lab after school with uh, the deputy head, and a caretaker, a lady, and came and us. And I even remember the conversation with the she was with her, who was a funny little caretaker, who was playing jokes on me. So when she said, I was thinking, are you joking? Because it's not funny. What you were doing, it wasn't, it's true. We looked on the, the internet on the news and we um, um, went into that sort of event and experienced it with people around the world. And when you take an event like that, that had such an effect on the kind of the world, people's lives, it had an effect on these, you can have different responses to it. 
and there were different responses that came out um, after that event. And uh, some people said that it was the result of the attack on those twin towers was the result of, of American abuse of power. It's called a retaliatory, and actually we've been abused on the basis of something like that. That was one analogy. Another one was actually was responsible because America is a land of freedom and good and we've kind of got this big people resent that. That's why they attack us because of the freedom we have. And depending on where you stand in your worldview will depend on how you processed the event. Because the event was the same for everyone watching. But depending on where you're coming from, depending on how you, you, you interpret it. And for us, it comes back to this thing of worldview, which is based on a general word, which I can't even pronounce, I looked it up. But worldview is how you process the world, how you process the things you deal with. And it's basically based on three questions. And the first question is, um, what should life be like? What should life be like? How should things be going? How things should things be? The second question is, what's the problem? You know there is a problem. So how should life be like? What's the problem with it? And the final question is, what's the solution? How do you deal with it? How do you make it right again? And depending on the answer to those three questions, kind of dictates our world and how we process and interact with the world. And your answers to those questions could be wide and varied. If you look around the world, you see different answers to those questions. Some people say, well, the problem is, is poverty. The problem is that there's an you know, imbalance of wealth, and there are many in this world who are in poverty, and should be, we should be helping them. Others say things like a disease. And uh, ill health is the problem, actually. There are many who are suffering from animals and we need to do everything we can to help them get well, get healthy. Others might say, well, you know, it's, uh, it's greed and corruption that we see in government and power structures. That's the problem. If they weren't so corrupt and we could root out the corrupt ones, everything might be all right. Others might say, well, it's kind of it's climate change or it's, you know, things that are going on, we're raping our world. And that's the problem. We care for our world and tend our world. Others might say it's kind of education. We've got people growing up who are illiterate, they can't read, they can't write, they can't, they can't do the basic things that we take for advantage in education. So that's the problem. People don't know enough, they haven't been taught. And so therefore the, the solutions come. Well, we need more government, more legislation to, to work things out, to actually, if we've got more laws in place, we'll help people. If we've got better health care, people won't be so sick, that'll help people. If we can build better homes for people, by a kind of place of security, stability, and environment, that will help people. If we look after one another, we look after the planet, we recycle, we cut down our carbon emissions, that will solve the problems. It might be, you know, we've got to punish those who are wrong. We have more stricter, severe punishment in our penal systems. No one will do bad things, so they will get punished, so that will solve the problem. But education, we just, yeah, we do more schools, better schools. That will solve all the problems. And depending on how you answer these questions, dictate how you process events and how you deal with the world. And the Christian worldview is different again for them because only the Christian worldview puts the problem not with any particular group or any particular situation, but with mankind in general. The Christian worldview puts the problem of sin is actually a problem of all mankind everywhere. That's the problem. That's where we come from. And the Christian worldview in the broadest sense, we talked about the gospel on the ground, God never crosses twice, this is how we interact personally. But the large message of the gospel, the message of the Bible that overarchs, is actually a different, slightly different one, but they connect, and that one would be creation, fall, uh, redemption, reconciliation, or consummation. And the idea is, God created the world, 
perfect. Everything fell and fall. We looked at that. The rest of history has been this process of God calling man to himself to one day finally be kind of brought together, um, together in Christ alone. Everything was brought together in Christ. And that's the kind of the Christian worldview. Everything kind of fits into that narrative and that story. And if you have that worldview, our work needs to connect to it because it's part of what we do. It's part of how we approach the world. And the Christian world is almost like glasses. I'm wearing glasses today. They're like the lens with which you interpret everything. Because your worldview affects how you deal with things and what's going on. And considering work is such a large part of our life, it's got to fit into that plan somewhere. We've been changed personally by someone telling us the good news of Jesus, whether it was a pastor or a friend or a parent or a youth leader. You've had that response. That now then fits into this grand narrative God is working out from eternity past to eternity future, where he's pulling all things back under his rule and ultimately ruled under Christ, you see. And you go to the end of the revelation, you see at the end. Everything comes together. And our work needs to fit into that. So when we talk about our story of work, work in and of itself isn't just something we do. It's not a daily grind that you go to. It's not the clock that you punch in and punch out every day. You're not just working to pay the bills. You're not just working to put food on the table and actually so you don't die and you have a roof over your head. Your work connects to something larger. Your work connects from where you are, so a kind of local context you're in, the actual people you work with. It connects to a national context in our nation, which connects to a global context of the, the world that works. It actually connects to an eternal, cosmic context of God working out the planet. So what you do today, tomorrow morning, is connected to God's plan for the cosmos, the plan throughout eternity. And so when we approach our work, we need to approach it with that mindset that what I'm doing is actually connected to God's master plan for the world, for eternity. And how that works out practically for your work is done in a myriad of ways. And depending on what your work wants to do, what you do, it's even giving you kind of similar jobs. It can work out slightly differently. But as you approach what you're going to be doing tomorrow morning, the next day, the day after, Think about it in this context. We've got a different story. We're not just working to save the world. We're working to part of God's plan and God's people for the world. So if you think about um, the area of kind of business as a broad term, um, the area of business, what's the main goal of business? It's probably, you can probably sum it up with something online. Profit. If you're working in some kind of business context, you want to make a profit, you want to make a money. The business has to kind of be viable in that sense. You want to accumulate wealth. And power, but if we approach it in the context of a Christian at work, that must be important because you've got to keep going. The business has got to keep generating income where it will fail and then we'll be out of work. But actually, how does that affect wider, wider things? Because you need to be balancing the interests of not just the profit rule, profit is God, God is God, but actually, you've got people you, you interact with individuals, you've got colleagues, employees in the company, you've got customers, clients. You've got those who are your suppliers, bringing things, those who provide the services you need. You've got the people who you interact with in the kind of community roundabout. So I think you're in a larger business, it will be in a kind of further reach of global context. But they're all people that need to be taken into account because they're part of God's plan as well. It's not all about the 
There are far-reaching consequences to your actions of what you're doing as a business, and we need to be connected to them. It's not about just making profits. What about actually doing your job well and actually providing an excellent service, an excellent product, being excellent at your job, and doing that well, having that emphasis, not just I'm going to make as much money on cut as many corners as I can. How do you do that job well? What about ethical standards that you bring to your work? You bring to that business environment. If everything you're looking for is, is just profit and making money, making the business turn over, you'll compromise some of those things if you do. You'll act and serve others. If you think, well, actually, it's part of this greater story that I'm a part of, what God's working out to plan, it'll affect how you approach decisions. Humanity. Is it important in a business context to have good relationships with staff? To actually encourage that and you know be a part of that and make sure to promote that so there's good relationship between teams and team leaders and those who kind of follow them in their teams and within the context of the departments who are scholarly relationships and resources and <coughs> all those kind of things. What about just um, being clear and transparent in your communication? Not hiding information that would um, cut out the parts of the company that the customers go to supply, maybe let's be clear and transparent about what they're doing. Because um, it's important that gospel affects it. What about the whole area of pay and quality between staff? You know, people doing the same job, getting different pay, and you have influence on that. What would the gospel say that how would the gospel affect that? What about the whole area of um, teaching? And education is a dear me, this is something I have to kind of live with and wrestle with. One of the big kind of aims of education, the fact that God that rules that in my experience my day, was a whole kind of results lead is the profit equivalent in school. You want to get good results, you want to get beyond the lead table in the right place, you want to sort of make sure that you're you're okay compared to the other school down the road, the other school in the other town, the other city. And if all you're working for, you're living for is kind of getting the results, getting like those things, other things can fall by the wayside. Actually caring for the student, the child, or whether they're older, education. Actually, they're an individual that needs to be cared for and taught for themselves. And actually, it's not about serving some parents, it's about serving them. They're the students, they're the people that don't like to, to teach and build with. When I went to when I was teaching, um, I got to year six, I had to teach year six class, I had year six sacks. And these were a big deal for our school, because actually what we stored in the sacks, you had to get um level four by this exactly level four and the original smart. So that was considered what a child should be at. So if they felt low level four, level level three, that was not good. If they went above level four, they were going to exceed expectations. And because I was in a small class school that was slightly smaller, we worked out with my year six class that each child represented four percent on our total one percentage. And that was kind of true. This child's four percent. They fall below the line you four percent of your entire percentage. Level four. And I'd wake up at night thinking 4%, you know, the jobs, if he's 4%, if he doesn't hit his target, my, my kind of, uh, my, my goal for that year, whatever I, whatever I was, is that I have to hit, you drop by 4%, and that's massive. When we're in a big school, you know, a child might be less than one, you know, when, when one child is worth so much, you get a bit freaky if you do a practice stat and then you don't have a little target, because you're like, oh, it's just unfailing. But actually, I have to find, how does the gospel affect me? Actually, it's not about whether it is, it's how he does it, how he developed it, how he's my children. Yes, I've got a responsibility that I need to work out, but I've also got to love and care for these kids. And in the overall context of the gospel, whether little Johnny is four or three, 
I think he's part of the last development in the grand scheme of things, but I still have responsibility as a judge. And so it affected how I had to deal with it, teach the kids, and love the kids through that. My, my relationship with the parents, the communication with the parents, was affected. Because I thought it's not just about bringing these children to get through exams and get a life, it's actually about caring for them and then what happens. Every child would come to me, part of the family that I didn't know, so I was keen to try and make sure I could connect with parents just to get an idea of what was going on in their lives. And so the gospel was affecting me. And whatever your context, whatever your workplace is, ask yourself the question how does the overall message of the gospel, this trajectory, affect what I do? Because it does, and it will. And if you've never thought about this, this is the opportunity to start. It might be worth finding someone else who's in the same line of work, business, and saying, let's chat about what you do and what I do. And how, does, how should the gospel affect what we do? How should it affect our attitude towards customers, towards colleagues, towards clients? How does, if we have positions of influence, because I'm in as a church, as we grow, and a lot of us are on the young end of the career spectrum. Some of you guys are going to hold big jobs with big responsibilities. And if you get some of this stuff in place now, when you find yourselves in higher positions, with lots of responsibilities in companies, starting your own companies, running your own teams, being up with directors, or whatever they are, if you put something in place now, when you get there, it will be easy because you have thought through some of these things. God, we need to invite to work with the lives influential. We produce in church. So, we influence with some of you, whatever business it is, and be able to influence the gospel in those places and see those places uh, transformed by things that you put in place. So, start talking about that now. How does that work for me? How does that work in my environment? Okay, number two. We have a different view of work because of the gospel. We have a different view of work. We look to the one about God. Um, God works, God goes work in the garden, which means our work, our view of work can transform. We might look down at any work and say that's more meaningful or worse. We can't even look up at any work so that's better than our work. All work is good. And as Christians, we should look at all work that is done well as a good and positive thing. And when I mean work, I clearly mean legal ethical. I'm not thinking about, you know, well done projects or anything like that. I'm thinking about good, kind of, what we would consider good work. But any work that is done like that, we should consider that it's a good thing and honour it and receive it well. I don't know if you've um, ever received um, good service over the years or received work from someone and realised how good that is. I can still remember the first garage that Mel and I went to and we got kind of got married with our sort of first car. We went there for years to live in the area and they were excellent. They were a bunch of old boys. So I kind of look at my dad. And the way they look at the car and fix the car, and they showed they didn't want to handle they talked to children with problems, and even when I came back to pick the car and they fixed it, they talked to me like, they talked to me like, I knew what they were talking about. They talked about, they said, look, we changed this, here's the bit we changed, look, you can see all the rust of the problems here, we changed it, we put a new one in, da da da. Do you want to keep it? That's always the funny bit. Do you want to take this with you? Why would I want that? Why would I want the old break this? Really? You told me it's broken, you need to place it, I believe you place it. But they always gave us good service. We went there for years. And then when we left, I genuinely felt, oh my goodness, I've got to go and find another garage like that. Because they provided us with excellent service. I can still remember buying my first suit, which was for my graduation from university, which was shopping Cambridge. 
and yeah, I think it was in Moscow or something like that. And you go into my place, there's all the more suits, do you know what I mean? And they all look the same, pretty much. Well, even though there are a bunch of different cuts and stars and cloths and things, but I ain't got But it looked like I had got them. What I was But the guy I dealt with was absolutely amazing, one of the best shop assistants I've ever come across. He taught me through it, went through and tried to do the suits if you want to film it, tried it, tried it. And I remember leaving now, and that was a long time ago, a couple of years ago. And I still remember the good quality service that he gave me. And I don't think any other guy would go out and say Christians, but they just provided really good service. And I still remember it now. Um, all right, well, we bought a house uh, recently, and in that process, you had to get a mortgage and had to do with mortgage advisors. And someone gave me details about a higher bank and a financial advisor. I'm thinking, well, look at these prices and sell stuff. I don't want to get my game face on. The guy I dealt with, I've never met him, I had him on the phone. He was absolutely brilliant. He was just fantastic. The way he dealt with me, the way he taught me through everything. He'd think about this, he'd think about this, he'd think about this, you've got this in place. Took me all the money you've got, kind of budget, you can buy a house, you've got about this cost, this cost, and we're working out what more you have. But he was absolutely brilliant. I happily recommend him. Don't believe he was a believer, but he did his job so well. And I thought, you know what? Jobs done well is a real blessing um, to us. All of us will have had. Good teachers over the years who just did their job well. Good doctors, maybe. People have been alive. Another group I've always found fascinating, mm-hmm. and I'm not just going to plug them, but they are, is British gas engineers. Every house we've been in, the boiler has broken. Every house we've been in at some point. The gas engineers who come out to their cover have been absolutely amazing. They've been so good at their job, they've totally clear everything, processed everything. I would happily have them back in my house. One of the guys actually turned out lived near us when we in our other hands. I do not have to This gives you a really nice and approved your job. No, and I like that. So, people who do a good job, we should honour and respect. And many, the fact is, many who contribute positively to our world are believers. Yes, many who provide services and goods for us and people with us are believers, but they do a really good job at it. Many people who raise kids, who teach in our schools, who Doctors and nurses who run the businesses we interact with on a daily basis, they are not religious, they do a good job and someone should have a good positive view of their work. What this comes into is a theological term is a common grace. Theologically, you've got two things. You've got common grace and saving grace. Saving grace is um, when God actually interacts with these person's life and saves them into a And when you become a Christian, that's the saving grace of God. You actually in your life, you're born again, nothing to do with you. God can save you. Dead in the that is saving grace. But common grace is God's gentle care for the world. The Bible says um, that um, in Psalm 145, verse 9, that the Lord is good to all, and He has mercy on all that He has It says in Matthew 5:45 that God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Just God's care for the world. And we need to appreciate that as kind of a doctrine of common grace. That actually, God's at work, even <coughs> just generally in the world, and we get to appreciate this. How this helps us as believers is that we can appreciate any work done well, no matter how many it's done well, it's worth appreciating because it's an expression of God's grace. Any um, services or products or anything you receive that's good, you can appreciate it and say thank you. And genuinely thank you to God for His grace. On you, on, on the world, that you're, you're on the end of these kind of things. Any colleague or boss that you may serve, work alongside, and does their job well, 
you can appreciate and honor and learn from. And learn that. I remember when I started teaching, I had colleagues around me, other leaders, who had been doing the job 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And I learned heaps from them on how to do my job. And I can honor them and honor them for that work, even though they didn't express a break of time, but they did their jobs well. It means we don't have to be tied to any particular Christian doctor or mechanic or anything like that. If I'm ill, I can just go to a trained doctor. What's wrong with me? You have a prayer protection. Here's the description for the blah 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 sin that they give you. Yeah, and you can take drugs and you'll be fine. Because any job done well we can honour and we can appreciate. And we, we contribute to the running of kind of society and God's care of the world by using these products. Because any time you go in the shop and you buy something, and you use the product, you're actually helping that individual feed their families. Because you're making the company run, they can provide for their family, and, and so on and so on. So we care for God. So our beautiful work has to be positive and good. Any work done well is something that's worthy of honor and respect. Any job. God is good. So we have to have a different view of work as well. The third one, we should have a different ethic of work. 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new is come. We are new creation. So our ethic towards work should be different. Recently, in July 2013, Bob is bank was fined $453 million for fixing electricity prices. $453 million. There are individuals in the company who have fixed prices to boost profits and then caught in the fund. Very recently we've had the phone hacking scandal, which resulted in a newspaper, News of the World, Silence overnight uh, because there have been journalists, possibly editors, you know, involved in this hacking into people's phones, listening to their messages to get a scoop, get a story, and it kind of came out and there's been a kind of a backlash of that. It was close, people were getting quarries and stuff and such. And also, recently we've had the um, MP expenses scandal a couple of years ago where MPs have been. Um, generous in their expenses claims <laughs> and had claims stuff and they kind of all came to light and some of them lost their seats and had to resign and there's been a whole bunch and stuff put in place. But what we see there is abuses of position, abuses of power, abuses of the system and often people can resort back to, well, it was legal. But it might not have been moral, but it was legal and they can use kind of ways to to um, uh, sort of justify their actions. And the result is, you know, the line is there are abuses in our work. There are abuses in what we do. Um, abuses in abuse their power, abuse their authority, abuse their position, the trust they've been given. And they're just some parts. But it happens all the time. Now, as Christian workers, we need to be disciplined, we need to be skillful, we need to be diligent in what we do. But our conduct in our workplace should adhere to something higher. We're part of being transformed by Christ and we're free from the power of sin. It's not going to we should affect how we work in the workplace, how we act. And I'm not talking about just more rules like don't put in your expenses or spin your co-workers. 
your boss as well. Even if you don't account that your boss, God still sees what you do. You need to work out on your own now. Self-employed or child labor around the children. God sees what you do. When we looked at Ephesians 6, it talks about this kind of relationship. You know, I've heard sermons online and catch up with it. It said, if you're an employee and you're dealing with a boss, it says this is how we should, we should act on the internet. We should give respect, sincerity, and we should work wholeheartedly and serve that boss that we have. Anyone here have a tough boss? Anyone <laughs> 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 thinking about that boss now? And I said, respect. Sincerity, wholehearted, working towards them. That's how God has asked us to be. Now, obviously, there are lines within that, and you don't kind of be able to But there is still that general attitude towards those who are in authority over us. Should be that, because over and above that, in that cosmic story, is God Himself, and He's the Lord God Himself. And our expression to earthly boss, earthly authority, is a reflection of our. Um, our respect and our submission to the authority above us. So that's how we should act. Actually, ultimately, when you're in your cubicle and your car going to meet people doing what you're doing, God is the one who is over you. If you happen to find yourself in a position of authority, you're a manager, you're a team leader, you're a teacher. You've got people who serve under you and report to you. The Bible says, we are to treat them well. It also says we should threaten them. Oh, oh, oh. When I was that was that was one of my major tools of my arsenal that threats over them. It says actually we should treat them well, we should honour and respect them and dialogue with them and help them perform the tasks that they've got to do. That's what it says. So when you find yourself in those positions, how do you treat others? And again, it's a reflection of, of how we relate to God, how we deal with these people. We'll deal with those who God's given us by His grace under us. And even if you're, you know, you're self-employed, you work at home, you're tired, God still sees everything we do and we are accountable to Him for that. When you're, when you're doing those things, you're out on the road and you're not near your boss, you're like, God is the one who is ultimately watching And He's the one who you report to if you will. And so I've got an attitude to be different along those lines. Okay, last one. Last one. We have a different power to work. We have a different power to work. Romans 8 1 says, We've been set free from the power of sin. We are no longer slaves. We are free. Jesus said, If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So the reality of when you became a Christian, the power of sin was broken in your life. You were forgiven. You were accepted. You became a child of your Father in heaven. The old life went. New came. You are a new creation. And so we are being transformed at the most fundamental level, which then knocks on with our work and our life in general. But it means that being free and having new paths work means that we are not driven to find meaning and identity in our work. It doesn't define us. Whether you're successful, and it's going forward and you're getting promoted and things are going well and you're accumulating. But that doesn't define who you are. You can be standing next to the other guy whose work is going bad at the place of the gun to the company. Tanking is all going downhill. But before God, you're on the same. We're all saved by grace in Him. 
and our identity is found in Him. So actually, what we do, kind of, we do relevant in that sense. Actually, we are free just to pursue our work, and the freedom means you can pursue whatever God has called you to do. You could be the high-flying exec in your corner office with a nice car doing well, or God could call you to work in a lot of pain, apparently menial job. You have to wash your hands at the end of every day. And whatever God's calling you to do, it's okay. It's okay, because you're free. You don't have to try and prove anything. There's no identity attached to it. It's not all about, oh my God, if I do that, God will get that salary, or I lose those perks, it will affect me as a person. It won't, because we have been saved by grace and we're in Christ. The old is gone. We've got a new identity. The only person who matters and opinion matters at this point is Christ. And he says, forgive us. He says, accept it. He says, come brother. The Lord says, my child, my son, my daughter, you are part of this family. And so, whatever work you're facing, whatever the situation, whatever work you're doing, whether there are changes in the horizon, career changes, people do, um, what do they call it, where they, they kind of downshift or something? People take kind of career downshift or something, but that's actually not down in the sense of value at all. That might just be a change in the and ultimately, he's the one who matters that he's the one who gives us grace to whatever I'm And so hopefully, I'll kind of wrap this all up there. Hopefully that, that gets you thinking. Because what we're going to start next week is um, we're going to start looking at the practical issue of the whole work experience for the next six weeks under a bunch of us speaking with us. Um, and we'll be trying to earn some of this in reality. But what I was trying to do today is set up something bigger, something broader for us to look at. But when you think about your work, you're connecting it with the big story. You've been saved as a Christian, your life has been transformed, that's wonderful. But you're part of something immense and cosmic. You're part of something God is doing throughout eternity. And what you get to go and do tomorrow morning is part of that story. And how you approach that, the view you have, what you do when you're there, is fundamental to kind of your fulfillment in that job. But why God has put you there? Because God has put you there for a purpose. He hasn't put you there just to, you know, pay your mortgage or your gas bills, which are going to go up because I read somewhere this winter is going to be the worst for 100 years. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what Mel did to me. That's great, we have to take the boys out of this stuff. So we're going to pray today. Do you know what I mean? Different views there on our worldview and how we approach things. But what you do tomorrow is part of something so much greater. So much greater. And God has put you there for a purpose. And you're there to be salt and light, is the image Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. That's our job to influence it. To, to be a positive contribution now. I thought we said that. Hope is not you thinking. And what I would love about this is conversations to be had between you and others in the small group in your own time. That's it. How does my work, my tapping away on the computer screen, you know, changing smelling actors, doing whatever it is, connect with this big story that I'm part of? How has God uniquely placed me and given me in there that I can be an influencer to God in this group? How can we do that? What can I do? How can I contribute to that? And start thinking and processing that. Because that is, I think, where we're really going to find kind of the, the purposes of God for you in your life. Because you spend most of your life at the workplace. Next big chapter is going to be a spoon.
work and sleep and that's most of your life and you feel a few other bits around you. So how are we going to use that? Well, let's now pray and we're going to worship this time.